Welcome again to Our Street. Uh, Lynn Fisher here with my buddy Kurt Elder, and we're going to uh, have another interesting show today, and uh, here in the middle of winter. In the middle of winter. So, Kurt, how you been doing? I'm well, Lynn. Thank you. Uh, Today we have uh, three guests, um, uh, two of whom I I know, and I think, Kurt, you know all three of them. I do. Meeting for the first time today, Andy Norman, and Andy is the executive director of Here, Nebraska. We also have with us Dallas McGee. I think our listeners may have heard of Dallas before, and he's the assistant director of urban development. Is that right, Dallas? That's correct, yes. And we also have David Carey, and David is uh, the head of the planning department for the city of Lincoln. Welcome, David. Thank you very much. Good to see you again. And uh, today we're going to talk about here in Nebraska and uh, the city of Lincoln. And uh, um, Kurt brought these folks all together so that we could uh, have a conversation about music in public spaces in Lincoln. So, um, Kurt, since you uh, you sure. have interest in this, why don't you ask the first question of our guests? Well, uh, and I guess what we should do is is find out more about exactly that. Okay. and you know luckily that is our first question All so right. andy uh, tell us a little bit about yourself the history uh your background where you came from and then how here in nebraska came to be sure uh okay well thank you for having me uh lynn and kurt uh so i'm a native of imperial nebraska um just like kurt and uh went to unl journalism school uh then i, I moved to omaha and worked in in uh, newspaper publishing uh continued my schooling at Michigan State, where I got my master's in environmental journalism, uh, worked in DC for a time. And um, at, at that point, I, I think like a lot of native Nebraskans, uh, I never planned on moving back. You know, I, I kind of felt like I needed to leave in order to experience kind of the culture and the lifestyle that I knew was out there somewhere for me. And so... And, and learn how great Nebraska really is. And that's really what happened, <laughs> honestly. Um, you know, I... I, I love the music scene in Nebraska, and I always had. Um, and I, you know, I started going to shows and in college, um, and really found this deep love. And I, and I'm, when I say shows, you know, my first concert that really hooked me was a a, a sweaty basement show where I was like, was oh, awesome. this is it. This is like an intimate experience that really speaks to me. Uh, you know, I've never really been really connected with with big kind of um, festivals or big big arena stuff. Um, so that hooked me. And then when I moved to Omaha, I, I continued to uh, really seek out music and I started covering it. And that really kind of forced me to have to really learn what's out there in, in Nebraska, especially in Omaha and Lincoln. Um, when, so my wife and I uh, moved to Michigan and DC and Again, never never planned on moving back. Uh, we would tell people we were from Nebraska, and and uh, people would balk, you know, and they would. Yeah, I know the feeling. Right, uh, you know, I often ask people what when you tell people you're from Nebraska from outside the state, what do they say? And the response often is, you know, flat, boring, old, uh, corn, football. Uh, Warren Buffett, who is a musician plays the uke. Uh, and, and so we found ourselves really um, fiercely loyal and defensive, kind of surprisingly so. And we tell people how about, you know, the music and arts scenes in Omaha and Lincoln specifically, um, you know, breweries, wineries, lots of really awesome uh, startups. Um, the, the whole Silicon Prairie, I think is, is, is really, really cool. Um, but as far as arts go, I mean, it's, it's, 
across mediums, so diverse. Um, the level of artistic talent in this state is extraordinary, especially for a state as, as, um, with as small a population as Nebraska. I think there's something about Nebraska that makes it a great place for, for the arts, um, which maybe we can get into later, but I guess to continue my, my story, sure. uh, I uh, got my master's and um, in environmental journalism and, and realized in telling this story about Nebraska uh, that I, I really loved it and I, I missed it. And I saw Nebraska's music community and industry as some real uh, kind of untapped natural resource um, that Nebraska was not in my eyes, doing a good job of utilizing. Um, the, the national kind of popular cultural image of, of Nebraska hasn't changed in as far as I, I can remember. Um, you know, people still think of us the same way. And I think the story we tell at a, you know, at a tourism level, at a state level, um, has not really evolved. Um, and perhaps at a local level. And it, absolutely, and at a local level too. You know, I, I see, I see work by the uh, both Omaha and Lincoln Chambers to to tell a little bit more diverse story, uh, more nuanced story. But but still, it's you know hitting those kind of same things like um, golf and agriculture <laughs> and like arena shows, frankly. And and I think that the heart of a music scene is is not in the arena; it's in the small venues. Um, and and so. Uh, as my master's project, I uh, learned how to do some coding and, and created here in Nebraska with my wife um, as a with a mission simply to cover and document this kind of underground music scene statewide. Um, and it, so it began as a website, um, just online publication. And uh, we moved back in 2010 to Lincoln to, to start it. Had no idea how to run a business or a nonprofit, had no access to money whatsoever. We ran it out of our own, own pocket. We were paying our own server fees and, and we just would talk to people and ask them, you know, how, <laughs> I would ask them, how do you run a nonprofit? And I talked to really <laughs> great uh, nonprofit leaders um, like Rachel Jacobson at Film Streams and the, the folks that run Maha Music Festival, Chris Kingsley, who's now at Firespring, but was at 42 at the time. Um, these were all really great mentors for me. Um, and, and we just started growing. So uh, building relationships really like, so we just started with publication um, and currently our website attracts uh, 27,000 visitors a month, 33% outside the state, 7% international. Uh, our mission has evolved from just just covering and documenting this history and promoting Nebraska music to uh, doing events and also um, professional development for artists. And so our, our vision is to make Nebraska an internationally known cultural destination. Well, that is a heck of a... Uh that's a heck of a storyline. It is, yeah. Wow. And, Andy, you know, when you were uh, covering music, who were you writing for? Uh, I, I wrote for um, this Omaha City Weekly, uh, right out of college, helped launch that that uh, alt-weekly, which is no longer around. And then I moved to the Reader um, publication in Omaha, which still is around. My my uh, signing bonus, as it were, to, to move over was <laughs> yeah. a new bass guitar. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get paid anymore, but That's yeah. awesome. I like that. We have this you know, broad history of here in Nebraska, and it's before we transfer into some of the next set of questions, which is, which is music and then activating our local spaces, mainly our parks, and then we'll get into larger potential parks towards the second half and perhaps other shows. But before we get into that, when you look at the kinds of shows that you've been to in the past, where where all have you and your staff been to? You're not just sticking to Nebraska-type venues. 
to then form your thoughts and opinions. Where all have you been? Sure. Um, I mean, I've personally been to venues in Kansas City, Des Moines, Chicago, Gainesville, Florida, um, Brooklyn, Atlanta. I, I toured with a, a band for for 30 days, uh, kind of right around the formation of, of here in Nebraska. And so I was in a different venue on the eastern part of the country um, every night for, for a month. So sure. I, I, I've seen a lot of different venues. Then it's not only you seeing different venues, it's also your wife, your staff. Right. And they've been everywhere, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we, everywhere being like a big broad term as I'm waving my hand <laughs> in, in front of the sure. microphone, but... What are some of the venues that they've been to? Uh, South by Southwest, probably. Absolutely, we've we've gone there each of the last six years. This year we're we're not going there. We're going to go to the Tree Fort Music Festival in Boise instead. Um, but yeah, you know, we have a, a very small staff. We have two full time employees: myself, our program manager, um, and a half time employee, our, our our managing editor, and then a number of interns and, and volunteer contributors. And th- th- uh, we also have kind of. Um, expats who who write for us and take photos and and cover shows in their respective cities. You know, Chicago, Brooklyn, Austin, L.A. Um, so I feel like we have a pretty collective, strong collective influence. From it other seems cities. like you have a pretty nice. That's being a horrible adjective, but you seem. It seems like you have a really great foundation. Then for what makes a good venue, what mm-hmm. what it takes to actually bring something together, and within that same vein, if we could, you know. We'll just expand this conversation to our local parks. We have so many great spaces and they're not always activated, utilized. How hard is it to get local music? And, then, and I'm sure Lincoln has a vast number of bands, different groups. How hard is it to contact them than to activate those spaces? And what are some of the concerns and limitations and what are some of the neighborhood issues? Have you had much experience in this? In, in the parks area? Yeah, in the parks. Uh, personally, we have never programmed at a park. Um, I've been to a number of park events in Omaha and Lincoln. Sure. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak completely out of turn, but uh, I, I think that um, on the on the production side, I think it's relatively simple. You, you need to find a budget um, and, you know, and, and have a space to put up a stage or if there if a stage exists um, all the better uh, you know sound and lights um, you need to uh, obviously consider any sort of crowd control um, I don't know honestly if parks are like require security some some places do uh, and and so that's an additional cost um, yeah I, I don't know if I'm the best person David, to speak to this you talk about that yeah I, just to follow up on that I think I think what I'd like to know if you have some ideas on what uh, physically that uh, let's put aside if it's a public park or not, but sure. maybe just a, a space, an outdoor space, and what you think is a needed uh, set of a needed venue there to make it successful, and maybe the follow up to that might be to specifically talk about what millennials, the younger um, concert going mm-hmm. set, is actually looking for for those types of venues. Sure, I, I mean I think. Ideally, as as far as infrastructure goes, there's a there's a built-in stage. I mean that that uh, I think is a really good investment that um, that makes doing events a lot more feasible. Um, the stage tends to be the biggest production cost um, 
by far. Uh, and, and so I think that that makes a lot, things a lot more accessible. Um, we, we do this statewide concert tour uh, called the Good Living Tour. And this past year, we went to Grant, Nebraska, which has an old uh, kind of band shell um, from like the 1930s. And it is so cool. And so that we did a so show cool. there. And I think it was the first time they'd had a concert in, in decades. Um, but you know, I, I think that there, there's no reason they couldn't continue to do that. It's really easy. And I think sometimes it just takes kind of using a space like that for people to see, oh, this can be done. Um, but, but I think, yeah, stage is the biggest infrastructure piece uh, in power. Um, you know, power is, is really critical. You need, you need to be able to... Uh, plug in. To plug in, absolutely. Plug in, yeah. um, as far as what millennials look for, I mean, I think a, a millennials just like, I mean, every generation, I think, enjoy watching and listening to music or arts, uh, you know, on a blanket in the grass. Um, if there's some shade, that's ideal. Um, uh, a lot of people will, will seek the shade. Uh, so ideally, you have it positioned in a way that it's not too far away from the stage um, so that people have to be super far back. Uh, and then I, I would I also think that um, access to to um, alcohol helps. Um, certainly millennials in, enjoy that, and I don't think they're alone. Um, I know a lot of their, their ordinances in, in some cities that prevent alcohol in, in public parks. You know, if there could be a, uh, um, if you could kind of carve out exceptions from time to time, I think that that would be wonderful and make them more, uh, more useful. Um, on the production side, Alcohol is one way to recoup costs, either through sponsors or selling it. Um, it also, I think, tends to make an experience more enjoyable for some. Um, for others, I think it would it would maybe repel them. But uh, I, I would I would love to see more um, ability to do that. We on the same uh, Good Living Tour concert, we we did a number of shows in parks. One in O'Neill, Nebraska, and they kind of built a like a, a beer garden, a fenced off beer garden um, that seemed to work really well. Uh, and I think that. That, that kind of makes the, the space a little bit more diverse and, and again, the, the program more easy to fund. If you just uh, joined us here on Our Street, we're having a conversation with uh, Andy Norman, and he's the, the guy that put together Here Nebraska, which is about music in Nebraska. And uh, we also have with us Dallas McGee and David Carey, both with, both, both with the city of Lincoln. Uh, Andy, um, just curious, I mean, Here Nebraska, this is about, um, it sounds like more current um, current events relating to music and um, all over the state of Nebraska. Does your website have anything about the history of music in Nebraska? Yeah, absolutely. We've done a ton of stories on um, trying to go back and give proper uh, coverage and love to some of the, the bands and venues that, that do not uh, no longer exist. So yeah, you know, I think prior to here in Nebraska, there was nothing that really documented this r rich cultural history. Yeah. And we do focus primarily on contemporary music sure. statewide, um, but we also cover opera and symphony on occasion. Um, you know, we try not to do, uh, you know, if the World Herald and the Journal Star are covering it, we don't want to double up. There's no, no need for that. Um, but we had a series called um, Echoes where we had a reporter who just went back and, and kind of wrote about some of these historic bands that uh, the current generation probably doesn't know. Yeah. And we've also done the same for venues. Sure. What, what are some of the, or who are some of the uh, bands or individual artists that uh, people may not be aware of that are from Nebraska that have gone on to, to get some fame? Yeah, like uh, The Millions is a good, one, a good example. The Millions um, 
signed a major label uh, record deal. Um, this, I believe, is the uh, early 90s um, and and made big waves um, for against in that same era. These are both Lincoln bands, kind of kind of post-punk bands. Um, uh, the I'm trying to think some others here. Uh, you know, Matthew Sweet is another good example. Sure. Um, he just moved back to Omaha, for instance, um, who who made uh, tons of national waves. Um, they're they're uh, I don't they're they're kind of countless well, the, bands now. I'm yeah, having a hard time drawing there's them. Lo- there's lots of them, and and of course history goes way back. There's all kinds of different uh, you know music styles that there's a lot of famous musicians from Nebraska that a lot of people don't know about, but it sounds like you're kind of oriented more towards the more contemporary rock and roll or progressive types of music, uh, or, or, or are you involved with jazz at all? Or, or Yeah, we, we um, so on our programming side, uh, we've never, we've never programmed, we've never booked jazz, yeah. um, but we, but really it's, it's across the board on the kind of contemporary styles of sure. genres, you know, from soul, R&B, hip hop, you know, electronic, um, country, folk, um, punk rock, uh, pop, you name it. Yeah, try to be pretty diverse there. No, so. It seems like we have a couple discussion tracks going, but I'm going to just pull us back to some of this venue and talent and some, some, some of that track. Lincoln in the area has a wealth of talent and venues, and I'm sure that there's a certain capacity that that talent needs then to thrive and grow. Within the Lincoln context, mm-hmm. do you think we need more venues? Do you think that the venues that we have aren't being fully utilized? Yeah, I think it's it's the latter. Um, you know, we just lost a venue, Knickerbockers, which was a really great rock venue, um, and and it was sad to see it go. Uh, we gained a new one a couple years ago in Vega in the Haymarket, um, and you know, on occasion, you know, ve- bars will kind of pop up and start doing music, which is cool. Um, currently, bar eighteen sixty seven, right on the. Uh, See northwest corner of 14th and O, and o uh, is doing music and, and just put in a really great sound system. I don't think lack of venues is the issue at all. I think I think um, we need to support the venues that do exist. I think, of course, Pinnacle Bank Arena is is a is a, a great jewel for the for the community in some ways. But I think that it gets a lot of focus, um, and so does that entire Haymarket area. And I think. You know there there are a number of venues right right around 14th and O that that are critical um, that I think need need development and I think that whole area of town could could use a little love. Uh, along those that line of discussion, um, do, do you feel like there's a need for an additional outdoor venue? And if so, what what do you think would, is needed if it is in, indeed in demand? Sure. Um, I you know it's hard for me to speak to whether it's needed. I think that it would be utilized, uh, but uh, you know I've heard uh, ideas of using turning uh, the um, Pershing uh, into an outdoor public space. Uh, I love that idea because it's right in the heart of downtown, and I think that's a very modern way of look at looking at, at planning. Um, I think that that would be so accessible. Um, you know, part, one thing that makes parks awesome is that you you kind of get away from the city. But I think that it also makes it a little less accessible, especially to millennials who probably spend more time downtown. Um, I think having a space that would be walkable from downtown would be fantastic, especially if it was a green space. I mean, I think it would be um, extremely utilized. And, and as far as, as events go, I think that would be where we would certainly want to, to produce them. So I'm, so I'm actually going to claim two questions. So the first is this, is that you had earlier said that we have an excess of venue that's not being fully utilized, and yet 
then the second mm-hmm. question was, well, do we need an outdoor venue? Sure. <clears throat> Much like with liquor sales, downtown bar mm-hmm. owners would say, you know, sure, we are having more people come down, but we also have greater competition. It's, it's kind of the same idea then with venues. So at what's the, what's the utilization cutoff point, do you think? If, if you have a space that can be used you know, 30 times in a month, 30 nights, and it's being used 10 nights for that, do you think that's being fully utilized? Uh, good question. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think we have too many venues. Okay. Um, I, I think that we have just the right number of venues. I, I think there's more that can be done to um, to get people to those venues, which I think we should do. Um, and to the, the question of, you know, like say an outdoor space, um, I, I think that if you only focus on building it for music, I think that's a mistake. I think it has to be super diverse. I think you should be able to do farmer's markets down there, you know, and, and different types of events um, make it very versatile. I actually like that idea. Uh, going on and still staying within the same vein, there's different kinds of venues and there's different kinds of music. What kinds of music better fit certain kinds of venues? So, so that's part A, then part B would be if it was downtown, we have a certain subset of people that live downtown that, that don't always enjoy loud music. Right. <laughs> so, so let's just focus on that first half and say, is there certain kinds of music that are better for outdoor venues? And that, I mean, mm-hmm. this is just a broad question. I don't it think might so. Might be as easy as being like, no, all music is appropriate y- for yeah, outside. Yeah, no. I mean, I've I've been to outdoor shows that I really loved that were really hard kind of music, you know, like punk rock. Um, I've also been to outdoor shows that were folk and they're a lot more light and and kind of chill. Uh, I don't think that's the issue. I think that you know, having a space that is conducive to that that all people of all walks of life want to come to um, is is important because I think you can program it so many different ways. You can have lots of different kind of small festivals that are focused on a certain certain genre. Uh, I don't know if that answers the question. I think that's doing great, actually. When we look at downtown levels of noise, there's a certain ordinance in saying that we can't go past a certain dB level. I think it's 80 dB for a sustained period. Um, but when you, and you might know something about this, Andy, uh, when Omaha does a Maha, it's in the heart of downtown. There's people that live downtown. Do they Surely would they would get some kind of waiver for that, right? Yeah, I believe they have to. That that takes place at Ixarbin Village, um, which I imagine kind of controls its its own the ordinances to some degree sure. because it, it has to, you know, uh, keep its residents happy and its businesses. Sure. Um, that's uh, it's a good question. I, okay. I honestly don't know. Dave, I thought I saw you raise your hand earlier. Yeah, I'm interested <laughs> in. Um, I'm interested in this t- topic in a, in a in a general sense, but um, specifically about the the ability to try to grow the music scene in Lincoln, yeah. as well as and, and what I mean by that is bringing people from outside Lincoln and outside from outside of the state mm-hmm. to come in not only just for the um, the economic development piece that would come along with that, right. but also to kind of showcase what Lincoln has to to offer to people, whether they're young or old or you know just out of school and looking for a job. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's as you mentioned at the beginning, there's so much that we have to offer of people yeah. who can just get them here absolutely, and, and let them see what, what we have. And then some of them will stay here or they'll come back and visit again and things like that. 
Right. I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question. And, and that uh, kind of segues me into talking about our Lincoln Calling Music Festival. Um, so some quick background. Lincoln Calling uh, had been around for 12 years. Um, very kind of independent DIY event. Um, takes place over multiple venues. So it uses existing infrastructure, just like South by Southwest does, or Tree Fort, which is why we're going to Boise this year to research that, um, which I think is, is really important. Um, in, instead of kind of a, a pop-up event uh, that is like, you know, kind of a, a circus, you pop it up and then it's gone. Um, the investment you put in that festival in, in these venues, I think helps build those venues and supports them. It also makes it uh, much more um, able to sustain, um, much more sustainable. Um, so Lincoln Calling, we, we turned a, a, we took it over here in Nebraska this past year in 2016, and we turned this $12,000 budget uh, festival into a $130,000 festival um, thanks to an enormous group of, of great sponsors in the city. Um, we attracted fans from 12 different states in the Netherlands. Um, we brought artists in from 14 different states. Um, our t the talent budget we, we bumped from 9,000 to about 80,000. Um, we partnered with Startup Week and YP Week. Um, we're really make, aiming to make that Lincoln's South by Southwest. Um, I think to grow the music scene, I completely agree. We need to get people here. Um, we need to show that Lincoln is a great music city. Um, I think Lincoln Calling has the opportunity to really be the, the kind of premier non-sports event that businesses should be bringing talent recruits in to see the city. Later this afternoon, I'm, I'm speaking with the YP, uh, a couple members of the YPs um, about shutting down uh, the 14th Street between O and P, kind of the Zubar Street. They always do their Zoo Fest. Uh, we would like to close it for three days and do a kind of a day night market type thing. So while Lincoln Calling is going on, um, which last year took place in eight different venues, featured 120 different bands, um, 50 of which were out of state, uh, we want to allow that space to be used by the public. So even if you don't want to come for the music, we'll get you downtown on a, on a Husker uh, away game weekend. Um, and, and I think that that has a, a huge potential to, to draw um, more people to the city, show Lincoln as a progressive, you know, kind of music capital. Um, and, and frankly, uh, I think that it's something that Omaha doesn't have either. Um, and, and I, so I, you know, I hope that, and I have, we've worked with the city, um, on, on it last year and, and hope to continue that relationship and, and really get more community buy-in along with the chamber um, to, to kind of help grow that thing. Hey, Alan, I, I just want to make sure that our listeners knew that this was going to be a two-part series. I don't know if we made that quite clear earlier on, but uh, if they would tune in next week, they will hear a second half of this. And if they would tune into our podcast, which is on kzum.org slash our hyphen street, uh, you can find our uh, SoundCloud account there and Listen, not, listen to not only this uh, discussion, but also next week's discussion or any discussions that we have. Well, once again, we've uh, had a, a good conversation and, and want to thank our listeners for spending another 30 minutes with us here on Our Street. We want to thank our guests, uh, Andy Norman and Dallas McGee and David Carey, uh, talking about uh, why music is so important to our culture here in Lincoln. And so I want to thank uh, Kurt Elder again for running the board and asking great questions. I invite our listeners to stay tuned for The Hot House and join us again next week for another great show here on Our Street. Thanks for listening.